Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Commonwealth Club for today's virtual program. My name is Raj Mathai, the lead anchor at NBC Bay Area, and I'm the moderator for today's event. It is now my pleasure to introduce Al Roker, author of his new book called You Look So Much Better in Person, True Stories about of Absurdity and Success. Al Roker, uh, really, it's America's favorite weatherman, right? He's a man of many talents. Emmy Award-winning journalists uh, are America's weatherman. Uh, best-selling author, barbecue aficionado, and co-host of the third hour of the Today Show. Remarkably, Al began his broadcasting career while still in college in upstate New York and has been with NBC on the Today Show for more than 40 years. Let's now bring in, without further ado, Al Roker. Al, great to see you. How you doing? Raj, Raj nice to see you. Where, where, where are you right now? I, I am in Lake Tahoe. With it, look, does this look rustic enough for you here? Very rustic. I was thinking, <laughs> wow, this Raj has a nice great room there at home with that industrial carpet. The kids must be tough on it. Oh, right? the kids are right. tough. Well, first of all, usually when I see you, when we all see you on the Today Show, you've got a, a volleyball court or a badminton net. you got this I've great got, well, in the, on, on the weekends. And then, but during the day, and like sometimes an overheard on third, it's the backyard deck. Uh, but during the week for the show, I'm usually uh, coming just outside of my garage, so uh, which is fun. So yeah, I hope I hope that garage is clean because we can turn that camera around. And actually, you know what? I it it made me clean up the garage. I pulled everything out, swept it out, got everything you know up nice and neat. Put some cabinets up and things. So it's the the garage is the neatest it's been. We've lived up here like twenty three years. This is the neatest it's ever been. Well, it's pretty interesting going through it. You know what? I read the book over the weekend. First of all, it, it's fun. It's revealing. And it's interesting. I was telling my wife, I go, you know, we watch Al Roker. So many million people do across the country for so many years. And we know you. You're part of our family. You come into our living room or on our phones, our kitchens, wherever you're watching. Um, yet when you read this book, there's still a lot that we find out. Why'd you write it? What, what You have so much on your plate. Why go out and write a book? To be honest, I had no plans to write it. Um, uh, I, I, I was speaking at the National Association of Black Journalists Convention uh, a little more than a year ago. And uh, this woman comes up to me, name was Kershawn Trotman. Or her, actually, her name still is Kershawn Trotman. Anyway, <laughs> uh, says, you know, I was listening to your, your talk and your conversation. And I, I just think your career would be very interesting to people. And then Okay. And she said, well, so um, I'm, I'm a publisher at Hachette. Would you uh, like to talk about it? I said, well, I'd like a free lunch. So sure, I'll talk about it. And here we are a year later. Boom. Uh, and it, But, uh, you know, I'm always hesitant to write these kind of books, you know, that, oh, listen, this is what I did. And it, you know, well, here's something you can do. And uh, and I'm always worried people, are going, who the heck is this guy telling me? what to do. So, but yeah, I thought it might be kind of interesting. And the other thing is I'm getting older now and, and my memory's going. So uh, <laughs> before it's completely shot and, you know, the kid, my kids bring their children in and go, look, look at that drooling man there. He, Grandpa actually did something. So <laughs> You said in the book, you're not retiring unless they drag you out or a 30 rock or, or your house right now where your current studio. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I don't plan to, but you know, one never knows, but, but, and, and that's because, you know, I love what I do. My daughter is my middle girl. They asked me the other, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Dad, so when are you retiring? I said, uh, never. I don't know. You know, I, I really haven't made the plans for it. And I talk about that uh, in the introduction to the book. I, 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 I'm always marvel at these people. I've got a five-year plan. Really now? 
do you? you you've got a five-year plan. So uh, uh, in the midst of a, the worst pandemic, global pandemic since 1918, and the midst of uh, economic collapse, and and the uh, uh, the greatest social upheaval we've seen uh, since the 1960s, uh, how's that plan going for you right now? You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. I, I don't, I mean, look, I think, you know, you can plan for your retirement, things like that. But when it comes to your life, you know, I, I don't, you know, look, at, at, at when we, in, in 2001, we had uh, our daughter, Layla, and we pretty much thought that was it. And then 9-11 happened and my dad got really sick. And, and we had gone through IVF. I've written about that. But, and we thought, what the heck? You know, who knows what's going to happen? And we decided to have another. But we weren't planning on it. You know, I have a, a daughter from a previous marriage. But, you know, wasn't planning on, another, on having three. But, you know, life happens. Yeah, life does, sure does. Uh, you, one of the cool things about anyone on TV, and you know this so well, um, even from my point of view, we're working on a local level. You see someone on TV, and then off air, there's someone totally different. But there are a few people, not a few, there's more than a few, uh, the special group of people who pretty much what you see on air is what you get off air, and you fall into that category. Uh, you're very humble. You talk about at that in your book. Um, when, when you talk about being humble, you're still in many ways, I mean, you're the man. Yeah, you talk about being maybe it's okay to be a second banana and not the top banana, but in many ways, you are the top banana. You're a role model for a lot of people. How do you kind of digest that, being humble on one side, but yet being on the top of your career on the other? Well, I, I think knowing that, you know, for whatever reason, it could all go away tomorrow. Uh, I don't, um, you know, I, and I've kind of tried to raise my kids that, look, just because I'm on TV doesn't make us any more special than anybody else uh, because that can go away. And it, my mentor, Willard, said, you know, always have to be yourself because that's all you've got at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, I, I I don't, I'm not comfortable thinking of myself as the, the top banana. I, I prefer, you know, second banana status because, you know, I, I remember talking with, with Ed McMahon and, and there's a man who sat next, it was on, on the number one late night show for years, sitting next to Johnny Carson. He wasn't the star. He was the sidekick. And, but he had a very uh, rich and, and rewarding and, and enviable career doing that. And, and being the weather person on today and co-host or whatever, I've still gotten to do some amazing things. I've gotten to talk to idols of mine. Uh, I've gotten to go to every Olympics since 1996. Um, and for a kid from Queens, New York, that's uh, pretty heady stuff. So I, 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 I prefer, because I think once you're like the top, then that kind of connotes that you've made it. Yeah. And maybe you're not as hungry as you were. So I, I, I like the space I'm inhabiting now. It's interesting. As you speak and as I'm reading the book, a lot of what you say, your drive, your determination um, and your background. And I'm a grim immigrant. And it's almost like an immigrant story because we're supposed to work harder, be, you know, and also a person of color. You're supposed to work twice as hard, do this, do that. And, and that's what really comes across in the book that you're saying, hey, look, I don't have the secret to success, but here's what I did. And I just yeah. continued to show up. Listen, it, it's it's funny you say that because my both of my parents were first generation. Uh, my mother from uh, 
families from Jamaica, my father's family from the Bahamas, you know, you know, the Caribbean work ethic is one that if you've only got three jobs, you're yeah. a <laughs> yeah. How um, many jobs am I is what you wrote. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, from, uh, you know, uh, 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 in living color. So, you know, I, I'm one of those people that um, my dad told me in high school, I remember him sitting me down and saying, look, you're going to have to work twice as hard and be twice as good to get half as far as the white kid next to you. And I said, well, that's not fair. He goes, well, it's not, that doesn't matter whether it's fair or not. That's life. Um, and he worked hard. And so that's, and, and I, and I'm very proud of my kids because they work hard. They could easily try to coast on their name, but they don't. My, my, my oldest got a job as a chef. She used uh, her mother's name mm. because she didn't want people giving her a favor. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I try to instill that in my kids and I try to, when I talk at, at schools, I try to tell kids, that, you know, look, you're not owed anything. You're not going to be given anything, uh, especially if you're a person of color. You're going to have to work for it. You talk about your kids. How do you teach that? How do you teach hard work? They've got plenty of money just through you and your wife. They've got plenty of fame if they want it. How do you teach something where you say, hey, you know what? You, you got to keep working because you can say one thing. How sure. do you do it? Well, you know, it's it, it, and it's and I don't mean for this to sound I don't know how it'll sound, but, you know, we have a good life. We make a really good living, but we try to stay normal. You know, I mean, uh, uh, if they've flown first class, it's because of the, the mileage I've accrued from uh, from work. Otherwise, you know, we fly coach. You know, we take normal kind of trip. Like we've gone to some really nice places and we go to regular places, places where, you know, uh, I mean, they see their dad and their mom washing dishes. You know, we try to leave and lead a normal, as normal a life as you can. And I'm not, nobody's going to say, oh, you know, the, this guy's leading a, an average life. No, I, I, leave an, I lead an above average life. And I know that. But I try to make sure my kids know that too. And that you're not living your life. You're living our lives. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it, and yeah, do we spoil them from time to time? Yeah, absolutely. But we try not to because, you know, it's, um, like I said, at any moment, uh, circumstances could change, and I want them to be able to to stand on their own two feet. You talk about, we'll transition just a bit here. Uh, obviously, you're a weatherman, and that's your passion. That's your love. You talk about being a geek uh, in high school, kind of the AV club, which nowadays, by the way, when we were growing up, right, being a nerd and a geek wasn't cool. Now it's the thing to do. That's how you that's get right. successful. If that's you're right. we, in fact, we had our own son, AV. That's right. <laughs> That's what we did. That's what we we flash that as we're pushing the projector carts, like we're like we're like we're in some we're like with the crazy no hoods. A, a, put your hand. Oh my gosh. V. That's it. So, um, you, today we'd be the internet nerds. It, Al, seriously, in the last couple of months, though, you, yes, you've done weather, which is phenomenal. But really, you've taken on an interesting role. I've noticed this just as a journalist myself. Uh, in that third hour of the Today Show, you guys have really talked about some difficult conversations with the whole social movement and social unrest. And you've become, or not just become, but you've added a lot of insight, not just because you're a black man, but you've added a lot of good dialogue and opened up a dialogue. Has that been challenging for you? No, not really, because we're in a safe space there. You know, we've got a great executive producer, this woman, Jackie Levin, and she encourages. She said, I want you, you know, we want to we want to open this up. We want to have a and look, you've got three people of color and, and a white woman um, and and 
you know, and Dylan brings up a, a perspective to it. Chanel, obviously, as a black woman raising black children, and Craig as well, brings a different perspective in an interracial marriage, and but raising children who will be seen as black, whether they're biracial or not. And and I think because we trust each other, uh, we knew we could have that conversation. And I, I thought, well, maybe we'll get some uh, pushback from, from viewers. And there was not. People welcomed the conversation they sure do um, i've a lot of, i've talked to a lot of people who said you know what it's it's really it's almost must see and you don't hear that anymore it's almost must see tv in terms of just the dialogue and the best dialogues right now are sometimes the most painful yeah and and it, so it was um you know craig and i had a, a discussion like that a little earlier for father's day and you know it it's funny because i wonder if my book came out to i mean it is coming out today but if i had written it say, maybe two months later, uh, what the tone would be. And, and I was concerned about putting out a book that's a little more lighthearted or positive during this time. And yet some of folks have said, well, you know, maybe we can use this right now. But it's a it's a time, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're all, you know, we, we like to think that, you know, we had Barack Obama as, as vice president, and we've seen all these people making strides, and we're living in this post-racial society. I mean, you you watch TV commercials, and you watch them, and they're all these biracial couples and and kind of racially amorphous type people, and it's like this great melting pot. But it's not like that in the real world. I, I, I mean, I, I love that a lot of these commercials are aspirational, and these programs are aspirational. But, you know, I mean, Deborah and I still go to a number of parties where uh, we're one of only two, maybe, maybe three black couples. And especially in the Hamptons, like you talk yeah, about, right? I yeah, mean, these yeah. are these exclusive enclaves and yeah, in the I Bay mean, area, look, San Francisco Bay area as well. There are sure. as diverse as we think we are, there are pockets and, and rules and lanes that you kind of stick in. Uh, and and thankfully, awesome. like in the Hamptons, you know, you've got places like Sag Harper Harbor and some other spots where there's a, a, a long running black community or you go to the, the you know, the, 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 the bluffs and, uh, in the, uh, uh, the vineyard, places like that, you know, so, uh, you know, I, um, you know, you can find your folks, but I think, uh, uh, I think others have to reach out and say, you know, look, this is, you've got to diversify your, uh, your pool of friends. How did you, and he wrote about it, I'll let you explain it, being, as you said, kind of a, a chubby, early, balding black guy, get a job, even if it's upstate New York in a small market, nonetheless, you got that first break. Why you? You know, it's it's funny, Raj, because I, it, it was, you know, people who reach out, who become part of your team are so very important. Uh, I had a, a, I majored in radio and TV back then. Now it's called communications. But back then it was the radio and TV department at SUNY Oswego. And our department chairman was a guy named Lou O'Donnell, Dr. Lou O'Donnell. He was, not only was he the department chairman, but at the same time, he was a kid show host in Syracuse. He was one of the, it was the magic toy shop. Anyway, the news director said, we're going to be, this is 1974. We're going to be starting a full-blown weekend uh, newscast with sports and weather and, and a news anchor. And, and I need a weather person, but I can't afford anybody but a drunk or a college student. Who do you have <laughs> up at school? And uh, so three of us did tapes. Doc O'Donnell arranged it. He brought the tapes down. The news director picked me uh, went down and auditioned. And then I just kept calling him. I mean, and that's one of the lessons in the book. I tell people, especially young people today, they just want to reach out via text or email, yeah. pick up the phone, call again. And again, make a pain in the ass of yourself. 
write letters. You believe it or not, a letter in this day and age weighs a ton. When it, it means comes, a lot, right? When you, you open know, it up and it's on letterhead, whatever type letter, of letterhead yeah. you write. Um, uh, but the guy he said, "Look, and the only way I'm going to get you off my ass is to give you the job." So, because um, you I kept got calling, job. I kept calling. It got to the point where the switchboard operator knew, and that's another nobody remembers switchboard operators. <laughs> but yeah, it was this woman named Rosie. And uh, hi, dear. No, he's not in right now. But I'll tell him you called. And I remember when she finally put him through. I was like, I was like the dog who chases the car. You catch it. Now what? You know, and I kind of stammered through this thing, and he said, "Okay, I'm giving you the job." I, I was so flustered. I didn't ask him when I was starting or how much or any of that stuff. You know, uh, but it was, you know, I was a, I was a sophomore in college, just had graduated or just had moved. It was the end of my sophomore year, and I'm driving 50 miles each way to uh, to to get it to do my my weekend weather. And the first weekend I did it was a Saturday night. And I drove back to school and I stopped at the Oswego sub shop and it just so happened the TV was on channel five, but I didn't notice that. And the girl who was behind the counter looked at me and then looked at I just watched you on TV. It was my first, <laughs> you know, first like recognition. Yeah. And, and she gave me my sub for free. <laughs> and then you're hooked. You're in Al. you're and, in. And, and now I have a sub named after me at that <laughs> sub shop. That's success, baby. <laughs> You've made it. <laughs> well, obviously the, there's a spark, a charm, uh, an energy about you. Um, this is something I had no idea about. You're now, okay, we, we leave upstate New York. Now you're wa- working in the Washington DC market. And, and Willard Scott just calls you and says, yeah. hey, let's go to dinner? He calls Again, him. I asked the same question. Why you? There's something going on that you're doing on the air or connecting with people that you well, continue to do. I think Willard, I think a couple of things. I, I, I dare say that he, he only had girls. And I think I, he kind of saw a little bit of himself earlier, a younger him in me. And I think he kind of took me under his wing as kind of an ersatz son. In fact, I, I do consider him my second dad to the point where the, the parallels are such that if my dad were alive today, they'd be the same age. And it was very funny because I answered my phone. Hello. He goes, hey, it's Al Roker. You know, I said, hey, listen, uh, I'm across the street right now. Come on down. We're going to have dinner. And it's okay. So I walk out the back door of my station and there in this giant red Cadillac convertible is sitting Willard. Come on. Yeah. So I get in. He makes a hard U-turn, parks the car across the street at this restaurant called Alfredo's La Trotteria and parks it there. And we go in and have dinner. And it was like, you know, I, 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 I'm sitting here because at the time, Willard was the most popular person in Washington, yeah. D.C. And I'm sitting here with Willard. And, and the great thing about Willard was that like on the air back in that, that those days, he wore a toupee on the air. But as soon as he was done, he'd take it and flip it into a drawer in his desk or something. So he's sitting there and these beautiful women are coming by and kissing him on the head. And it's, it's like, you know, it was like you're, you're, you're eating with part of the, the, the rat pack, you know? Uh, so, and, and he just really is, is one of the most generous human beings because, you know, a lot of people will not extend a hand, especially if they think you're any good. And was uh, he was he at the competing station? He was well? at the WRC, the NBC. Station. So he's at NBC. You were at TTG, I, was I believe. At TTG. Right? It was the then Metro Media, now Fox. So but, he yeah. calls up the the competing weather guy, right? And uh, and he's the legend, and he says, "Let's go to dinner." Yeah, you know, and that's like, oh my gosh, you know, and and his co-anchor was Sue Simmons, who went on to WNBC. Sure. Yeah, but 
I had such a crush on Sue and he brought her to dinner once. And I was like, nah, 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 nah. Uh, oh, by the way, I like your description of your office, the big corner office at 30 Rock. Come on in, have a cigar, some caviar. If you want to talk about your career, how is your, your office really at 30 Rock? And, and granted, you're, you've been there 40 years now. Yeah, it's actually it, where the main Today Show is on the third floor. And then the third hour of today is on the fifth floor. And and I like it. My office is right next to Tom Brokaw on one side and Hoda Kotb on the other. And it's nice, you know, you get a view of the, the, the get a view of the, 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 the plaza and the ice skating rink and it's kind of light and airy. I, you know, I, I'm in a, I, I love my office, uh, I, you know, and I've got a nice dressing room uh, at Studio 1A. I never thought I'd have a dressing room. You know? It's like, <laughs> oh, I've got a closet and I can. But I'm still one of those people like Craig. Almost everybody else comes in in casual clothes and changes. I come in fully dressed. Uh, it's yeah, just... And actually, you say that even when you were broke, you, you, you made a point to spend a little money on some nicer clothes, you know, the budget, all, all things considered. But that's something, even your eyeglasses, I mean, it, it's very stylish. That's something you've had forever, right? I learned it from my first uh, uh, anchorman in, uh, in, in Syracuse, a guy named uh, Ron Curtis. And uh, his real name was Ron Ezzo. But back then, nobody could be ethnic. You know, he was from the south side of Syracuse, Italian section. And, you know, one of the, he was all, when he was in the office, you never saw him with his tie loosened. You never saw him without his jacket, even at his desk. You know, he was just a, a stickler for that. And I, I, I learned that. And the other thing I learned from him was that sometimes you make decisions not for your career, but for other reasons. They wanted him to go to WCBS in New York uh, back in the, the mid-70s. Uh, CBS came calling. And he said no, because his family really didn't want to move. And he was, he was content where he was. He was happy where he was. He was where he grew up and saw no reason to leave. And I thought, wow, you know, a lot of people don't make those decisions. A lot of those people are tough decisions. Yeah, business, well, what was his name again? Ron Curtis. Ron Curtis. And, and his original, his real name? Ron Ezzo. Ron Ezzo. Wow. Uh, we got a lot of questions here. A lot of people want to ask you stuff. So let's get to some of our viewer questions sure. uh, right now. Uh, Al, can you share some of the best advice you've received from a mentor and what advice do you have for a recent college graduate? You know, it's, it's, it's funny. And, you know, when somebody says it's funny, it rarely is. But, um, and <laughs> That's funny. Like, oh, it's interesting. No, it's not really interesting. Anyway, uh, it's like when it's signed, the sign says luxury condos. If yeah. you need to tell me they're luxury. Yeah. And they're or, let me be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, that, that phrase, that word mentor, I mean, back in the day, Nobody used the word mentor. It was like he took me under his wing. He took an interest in me. Something. Anyway, it was Willard. I mean, he and the, and the, the advice he gave me, and I live with it today, um, you know, and that's basically always be yourself because that's all you've got. They, they can take your job. They can take everything. But you're you. And that's worth its weight in gold. And the other thing is never give up your day job. You know, you can have as many side hustles as you want. But if you've got a really good central gig, and I've got the best there is at the Today Show, there's, there, you know, you got to remember that. Never get too big for your britches. There are too many people. You know, this is a, our show is a, is an ensemble, you know, and I think we're all individually terrific broadcasters and journalists. The rest of them are more so than me, perhaps. But <laughs> when you put us together, we are unbeatable. 
and and I I think that look and, and I I've, I just am so thrilled to be part of this group. I, I don't ever want to leave it. Do you really listen to the A Team theme song occasionally? That that show, the great show from nineteen eighty. In 1972, a crack commander unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. <laughs> These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles under. Today, survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and maybe if you can find them, maybe you can hire the 18. So you do. Every I day? listen to it every day. I come in, hit uh, Alexa, play theme from the A-team. And it starts, and then I, I get going. And and Oh yeah, it's the best. And and so I, yeah, the last chapter of the book, I say, find your find your A team, find those people that you know will uh, help rise you raise you up. Whether it's it's your professional life or your personal life, you know. And the thing is, you have to collect a team because not everybody's good at everything. Just like in the A team, B A Baracus, and why the villains never learned not to lock them in a barn. With power tools and old stuff is is beyond me. But anyway, uh, uh, but you know he could build something, an attack veal out of anything. Howling Man Murdoch could fly any uh, any aircraft. Uh, the face could 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 charm anything they needed. And John Hannibal Smith came always came up with a plan. He did. So everybody was good. They were all good, but they were all great at something. So you need to find the people in your life that are great at one thing, and and. And hopefully you can be that to them as well. Another viewer question here. What is your favorite part about working on the Today Show? Every day is different. Every day is different. And, and you never are sure exactly where you're going to be. You know, you could start the day literally in New York and end in Los Angeles. Or How does it work? Does, does a, uh, you work with a, a specific producer that says, all right, Al, we I need have, you we've to got, We've got a group of producers, field producers, segment producers, but we've got an executive producer and senior producers who will say, hey, there's this drought happening or a hurricane is brewing or something like that. Or we've got a chance for an interview with so-and-so. Uh, can you get on a plane? Yeah. Yeah. This is the longest I've gone without flying Sure. Uh, since I've joined the Today Show. I mean, it's it's really been very interesting. And I was so yeah. close to executive platinum. <laughs> on your on your on your points, uh, you know, you you said perhaps maybe you could have waited to write this book and it could have been taken on a different tone. Um, but even in the book, you did talk about racism in, in your first job. I think it was your first job. It was my it was my third job. Third, third job. job. Sorry. Cleveland, no, it's okay. Cleveland, Ohio. Where, where the anchor said, you know, hey, one of your people attacked me or something. So yeah, explain we, that and just how you dealt with it, because so many of us have gone through something similar. Well, our anchor team, our, our uh, six and 11 o'clock anchor team was actually a married couple, uh, Doug Adair and Mona Scott. And uh, our station at the time was right in the heart of downtown Cleveland. And in the late seventies, downtown Cleveland wasn't a great place. I mean, it was a good place, but Anyway, uh, there was this homeless African-American guy. Everybody saw him around. And one night he came up behind our anchorman, Doug, and bopped him on the back of the head with a newspaper and then ran off. That was it. But the next day, Doug makes it like he was just attacked. It was horrible. Anyway, uh, we're, we're now live on the 6th. And Mona says, uh, well, now here's Al with the And before she can finish, he says, Mona, before you introduce Al, uh, I, I have to say something. 
Uh, Al, I don't know if you know, we're live on TV. Al, I don't know if you know this, but last night, one of your people attacked me. And, you know, that's one of those moments where time stands still. You know, yeah. do, I, do I react in outrage? Do I walk off? Do I yell at him? And I looked at him and I said, Doug, why in the world would a weatherman attack you? And then just went on with the forecast. But I'll tell you that whole time, I mean, I can feel the blood pounding in my ears. I mean, I, my heart's in my throat because I don't know what's going to happen now. And we get off the air and I'm like, and I didn't even say anything because I just didn't know what to say. And I was afraid. And look, I, I'm the new guy. You know, this guy's a veteran uh, of not just the station, but had been in Cleveland at least 20 years at that point. And um, the, the switchboard lit up. People were outraged. And he eventually he was suspended and then demoted, uh, became a, quote, field anchor. Yeah. And then, you know, left the station with his wife. But, um, you know, it, it's those little microaggressions. And I'm sure, look, and I liked Doug. And, and I, uh, he since passed. Uh, and I'm sure if you said to him, you're, that's a racist thing to say. He, and, and I think he was really nonplussed. He didn't quite understand what he said. But, you know, I think it illustrates also that there are times and places for outrage. Uh, I think George Floyd, because we're in the midst of this pandemic, this wasn't just another black man being murdered. This was something that we saw that was so beyond the pale in broad daylight with such a, a, a disregard for human life that I think people just couldn't believe it. And I, I, and we, we didn't have jobs to go back to, to, to be uh, distracted by. We weren't going out on vacation. We had to watch this. And uh, I'm, you know, I, I think, I think we're at a, a moment now uh, uh, that's becoming a movement uh, that people, uh, you look at, you know, public opinion polls and such, and, and people have changed. People are changing. I mean, I don't know about you, Raj, but the, the number of, uh, after this happened, the number of uh white colleagues and co-workers and friends who called, are you okay? Is everything all right? Yeah. And, and help you got to call your black friend, right? Yeah, help help me. Uh, and, and, uh, and look, I, uh, you know, I, I appreciated it. You know, after a while it was like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a little black friended out right now. Can you, <laughs> let's, let's talk tomorrow. Uh, but this is a, we're, we're at a real inflection point, I think. Something interesting, I had a conversation, uh, or actually just had heard from one of the athletes here on the West Coast, real well-known guy, plays for the San Francisco 49ers, His name is Richard Sherman, Stanford alum, smart as heck, black guy, big star football player. Uh, a couple months ago, when this was all just exploding, he says, you know what's interesting? Wearing a mask now, because of the COVID concerns, it takes me back to a difficult place. It takes me back to before I was, quote unquote, Richard Sherman, before I was a football star. It takes me back to my childhood and my teenage years in Compton when I walk in a room and all people see is a black guy. If I take off my mask, they see it's Richard Sherman, the NFL star. So this, they're disarmed. But now when I walk around the Bay Area or L.A., wherever he's you know, walking around, he has the mask on. And again, it takes him back 20 years to when he was just a threatening black man. Yeah. Pretty interesting wearing a mask. It, it covers up even for you. All of a sudden, you're not Al Roker anymore. No, no. Although the funny thing is people are coming up to me or walking by me and go, hey, Al. And I'm thinking, how the heck do they <laughs> Do you have an me? NBC logo? <laughs> no, I don't. But then I, and I finally stopped and I said, how do you know it's me? He goes, well, the head and the glasses. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair point. But it's interesting. You know, people are going through just so many different thoughts and conversations, regardless of the color of your skin. Just people are yeah. having really um, yes, are. Uh, 
a lot of growth here, but but it's difficult. Yeah. You talk about uh, your A team. Tell me something that we don't know about uh, Savannah and Hoda. Uh, we see them on TV. Wonderful women, great journalists. Uh, what don't we know, Al, about them? Uh, about Savannah is that she she's she's probably one of the funniest people. One of, she has this unbelievable self-deprecating sense of humor. <laughs> that is, and you know, and she's this brilliant legal mind, and she's a terrific journalist. But she's got this terrific, almost, almost Mary Richards, you know, from <laughs> Tyler Moore, this, almost this Mary Tyler Moore esque persona that's just so spectacular. Hoda is one of the greatest BS detectors uh, <laughs> that I've ever met. I mean, you can, you know, you can tell when Hoda's like. Yeah, okay, you're full of it. You know, you can see, and I'm not going to give her tells, but I know when she knows somebody's not being forthright, let's say. Very interesting. Uh, from a viewer again, here we go. Uh, Al, you've been married to your lovely wife for 25 years. What advice can you share for a successful and happy marriage? And if you got the answer to that, uh, you, well, you're going to be a trillionaire. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've got the answer. I know, I know it takes a lot of work. It is... I mean, it's work, just like raising your children. That's work, you know, and yet you gladly do it uh, and you get to a point, you know, you, you, you need to learn, you need to learn to be humble and you learn, you need to learn to be accepting that you're not going to change people, nor should you, but that you adapt. Uh, I think for us, one of the things that's, and especially because we're both in the same business, uh, I think, I, I know that she's helped me find my more serious journalistic side. And I think, and she said, she, I've helped her find her lighter side. Um, uh, so that I think we complement each other. You know, we're, we're, we don't have to be the same. We don't have to love the same music or the same movies. And in fact, we don't. <laughs> I can tell you that. That's okay. We, I, think, I think the only thing we've agreed on TV-wise is the crown. But other than that, uh, you know, we're and, – and I recommend everybody, everybody, watch, wherever it's available, a Good Trouble, a film. It's, uh, it happens to be a friend of ours, Don Porter, who produced the – who directed this film about John Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and finished and it just Especially talking about – on today, I mean, yes. today being such a significant day for him. Um, yes, yeah, it was, mo it was so moving watching that ceremony today. It, it was, was. Just... And, and that's what that's what um, that's what John Lewis would say. You know what? There is a good trouble, right? There, yeah, yeah. And and you know, I, I got to do one of the last interviews, if not the last interview with him, and it was really awe inspiring. You know, because here's this man who. When we were 23, 24 years old, I don't know what you were doing, but I was working in TV. I wasn't making that much of a difference. This man was literally spilling his blood for this country, yeah. being beaten by troopers coming across that bridge. He was speaking in front of hundreds of thousands in front of the Lincoln Memorial. He was making a difference, you know? And I mean, he's seen it now from both ends. And I asked him, what did he think of this this new movement uh, and uh, did it give him hope and he said absolutely he said seeing all those different colored faces you know and white young young white people and asian people and brown people all marching together and he said for love 
because they love one another. And he said, you know, that, and that's, that has been his mantra, you know, don't hate, love to his dying breath. I, I mean, it's so, so amazing. You think he left this earth uh, with some peace in his heart? I think he did. I think he saw the, uh, the makings of a new movement, uh, you know, up until then, you know, with certain bits of legislation being introduced or trying to be rolled back. I think, I think anybody, if you're human, would have to look at that and say, what's going on here? But then to see this before he, he passed, I think, you know, gave him some heart balm. Talk about John Lewis. Who else comes to your mind in terms of the most fascinating men or women that you've met or interviewed? Just a couple in, in no specific order. You know, Charles Schultz. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Peanuts fan. From the, from the Bay Area. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I've, I've, his um, his uh, uh, studio is up in Santa Rosa. Yeah. You know, and, um, uh, and got to interview him for the 50th anniversary of Peanuts. And then six months later, he was diagnosed with colon cancer, stage four colon cancer, and asked me to come back out and give him one last interview. And uh, it, it meant the world to me. Um, you know, getting getting to interview James Earl Jones, you know, yeah. such a varied and stunning career. Um, you know, I, you know, I've in Rita Moreno, you know, again, in the in the Bay Area, just such a dynamo. And the, the thing I've learned through all these people, and I talk about him in the book, the the secret is is staying relevant by staying active you know i mean Rita moreno just you know, one day at a time the, the reboot uh james earl jones still doing voice work uh william shatner you know still doing stuff every you know he's always he's busier probably now than he was during the star trek days you know and but all of them say yes to uh, opportunities which is what i say uh, you know never say no always say yes when we chat and it's someday you're going to be 95 years old, what do you want to be doing? I don't know. You know, again, it goes to the plan. I, I don't have one. I, you know, if you had told me by 2020, I'd have 13 books. I'd be producing some movies for the Hallmark channel. I'd be, you know, doing the today show. Uh, I, I, I'd laugh. I said, well, you've got a great imagination. Good for you. And I'll take a pound of what you're smoking. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Hopefully I'll be arrived, alive. That'll be five years away from a smucker's jar. So, uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of that, you, you got me going to something. Uh, what is it? A, a, a goober smoocher? Is, essentially yeah. a, can we say a, people are goober smoochers. Yeah. You know, they like to go to the fancy parties and stuff like that. I don't, you know, hang out with famous people. Well, see, that like, actually, Al, that actually surprised me because not that you're a schmoozer, but I just figured, oh, you would enjoy being a hey handshake and a hug and, I, and all this stuff. But in, in but, fact, but you're I'm, right that you're not that guy. I'm very shy. I, I mean, look, I, I, and it's not an act I'm putting on when I'm out there. I genuinely enjoy those folks and going out and talking with people. But when I'm home and I'm I'm off camera, I you know look, I crack some jokes. In fact, Deborah's family has said to her when they first started to get to know me, "Does he not like us? Because he seems a lot different." <laughs> Is he bored? Said, no, I'm 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 not different. I'm just not working. You know, yeah. I mean, it would seem pretty odd if I was like, "Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> You think what a jerk, you know? So, uh, you know, that's I'm I I pre far prefer having dinner with you know two or four friends, couple you know two or three couples, uh, than go to those fancy parties. Anybody of any import that I know 
and I have to drop names, but I, I, I've gotten to hang out with Spike Lee and Sam Jackson and this one. And now the only reason I know them is because of my wife. Deborah Roberts knows all of their wives and right. so we end up going out together. But if it were up to me, we, in fact, we have a deal. I said, okay, I'll give you two events every year that you want me to go to. And after that, I'm out. Ah, that's, that's fascinating. That yeah. is fascinating. I mean, I mean, you know, like even like the Hamptons, look, there's some very nice folks that we've gotten to meet. Uh, and, and those parties, I don't mind because they're, you know, they're, they uh, happen to be an interesting group of people. They're not the usual vacuous types you'll find out there. But uh, boy, no, I, I, I tend to, I, we're, we're, we live in upstate New York and I, I call it the anti-Hamptons. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> so, so no goober smoocher. You no. are certainly not a goober smoocher. No. Hey, was it a, was it a, um, I don't want to say dark time, but was it a challenging time for you coming, leaving Cleveland? It wasn't a full-time offer to come back to New York. However, it was an offer. And also personally, uh, you, 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 you just got divorced. Tell yeah. me about that time. Well, you know, it was interesting. It was our, our station in Cleveland had been a bad third. And uh, uh, five years after I'd gotten there, and again, this had nothing to do with me. I'm just it's a coincidence. We had moved into second place and were threatening to move into first. Uh, at the same time, my news director, a woman named Chris Ostrowski, called me into her office and said, look, they've got a weekend weather opening at WNBC. You're from New York. You should be there. Uh, you have your agent call uh, Bob Davis, the news director, tell him that he, I know you're calling and, and go down and interview for that job. And so we did all that, uh, did the interview. My agent called me, I was getting on the plane back to Cleveland. He said, they want you. Uh, and it, it was a full-time gig, but it was just weekend weather then three-day reporting. Sure. Okay. Uh, got it. And that's, and that's okay. You know, um, I get back and I announce it and I tell my news director and she's happy for me. The general manager calls my agent and says, listen, we really need him to stay here. So here's what we'll do. Because at the time, WKYC was also owned by NBC. So it was okay. owned and operated station, much like you guys are. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said, we're going to make, if he agrees to stay, he will be the second highest anchor, paid anchor in Cleveland. And we guarantee at the end of two years, we will move him to New York at the salary that we're paying him, which is twice of what he would have been making in New York City. And I thought, well, huh. I don't really, I mean, I know my family, but I don't know, really know anybody in New York. And yeah. <laughs> well, what the heck? So I went in and told my news director, Chris, I said, you know what, Chris, it's a pretty good day. I'm going to stay. I'm going to, I'm going to stay. Stay said, in no, Cleveland. I'm going to stay in Cleveland. He says, no, you're not. He says, this is your time. As you're, News director, I think it's terrific you're going to stay here. As your friend, I'm telling you, it's the worst mistake you could possibly make. Get out now. And within two things happened. Within six months, almost everybody I knew left the station at WKYC. And within six months of me getting to WNBC in New York, the Monday through Friday weatherman, who was a legend in New York, Dr. Frank Field, yeah. left to go to WCBS. And so I worked for eight weeks in a row with two days off. But then I was given the Monday through Friday job. So everything happened for a reason. And because Chris Ostrowski slapped some sense into me, <laughs> I, I left. That's a remarkable conversation for you guys to have at yeah. that point. Yeah, never forgotten it. You, you get uh, 
do you get spiritual in the sense that good things happen to good people if you continue to do right to people that maybe there's there's a payoff there because it seems like you've gotten some nice payoffs not that you yeah. haven't worked your your butt off but but no, it seems no, like you've there's no nice no people. Yeah, I, I have but you know I I I don't necessarily subscribe to that because there are a lot of very nice people who you know haven't gotten the breaks and you know struggle and and so you know I'm really more the the victim of uh, or or the beneficiary of a lot of right place right time you know, um, uh, it's just like I said just now, if I hadn't left to go to, Cle- to, to New York, that job would have opened up and I would have been kicking myself. Um, you know, I think that's really more the, 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 the moral of the story. I mean, you try to treat people right. You don't always succeed. I've made my mistakes. Uh, people that friends and family that, you know, you let down, uh, but you try to do better. And that's all you can do. That's all God asks of us. What's the most challenging part of your career? Do you know, was there one specific week or day or year that you felt, oh you my know, gosh, I'm not going to make it, or this is really difficult? It was, I mean, it wasn't technically my career, but it was, my dad uh, developed lung cancer. Uh, I mean, I'm li- literally looking out uh, where they were, my mom and dad were hanging out. Uh, this was July of 2001. And by August of 2001, he had been diagnosed with uh, stage four lung cancer. He had stopped smoking 35 years earlier, but what are you going to do? And he, his first day of chemo was on September 11th, 2001. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to come into the city. I tried to get him. Why don't you and mom come spend the night with us? And then I can take you after the show. No, no, I want to spend the night here in my bed. Obviously, he never got to that, that, uh, that day. Yeah. Uh, did it once or twice and it just wasn't working and and uh and so he was dying and and it was a weird time in that here the whole country is mourning you know what happened in in shanksville and at the pentagon and down at the world trade center mourning thousands of people dead but i'm mourning the impending death of my dad and and after he died he died a few weeks later I, I felt like he got cheated, you know, that, and it was tough for me to go in, you know, even I took a week off and it was still difficult, you know, and it's still difficult. There are days just out of the blue and both my folks are gone now where, you know, a story or something will have on the show and I have to get up and excuse myself because it just reminds me it's too difficult, you know, and Lord knows I've been to therapy and all that, but they, I, I, I still miss them to this day. I always remember it was a, an article about Bryant Gumbel and you know, he was very close with his dad. I think it was sports illustrated and I'll never forget the title of the article. It was called the morning anchor M O U R N I N G. Oh. And then I got to meet Bryant. This was before I met him. And uh, it was, uh, and, I, and I didn't quite get it until I lost my dad. And then I understood everything he wrote about. You wrote about crying in the book. I Not did. just about your dad, but just about letting her rip and, and crying and, and taking a moment. And even some of your colleagues at Today's just saying, oh, Al's, Al's taking a moment. Why is that important? Why'd you write about it? Well, because I think people need to know that emotion in the proper place and at the proper time, there's nothing wrong with it. You need it. You need to, uh, you, you know, you know, we've come from a, you know, our, our parents' generation. You just suck it up and move on. You know, I mean, I mean, it's funny. Back in the day, I mean, my mother, 
uh, had two miscarriages and nobody, you know, we, we didn't acknowledge that then, you know, we've gone through a couple and, and, you know, you, you have to deal with it, you know? So I, I, and my father was a very demonstrative emotional man and that's where I, I get it from. You know, he, he was one of those guys, you know, you know, you'd go to sh somebody go to shake his hand. He'd pull him in for a hug. You know, he, he kissed us, you know, boy, his, his sons and daughters. You know, I, I didn't realize how unusual he was until I like, go to some family reunions. I go to kiss one of my uncles. So, oh, hey. hey. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I find that it's uh, it's cathartic and um, it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. Is it dis, uh, disheartening for you? Uh, personally, it is disheartening for me just knowing in this COVID and even post-COVID era that hugs, handshakes, embraces might be not a thing of the past, but certainly something that we're, we limit. Well, forward. look, I think, I think you're going to pick your choices. I think, you know, family, close friends, people you know that you feel safe around, I think. I don't know. I yeah, mean, we don't know. It's a weird, I mean, you know, the, the title of the book is, you know, you look so much better in person. And that came from every day at 7.50, uh, I'd have about 20 minutes from about 10, 10 of 8 till about 10 after 8, where I could be outside, shake hands, schmooze with people. And literally, once a day, somebody would say, you oh my gosh, you look so much better in person. You're and insulted, I, kind I know, of, sort of. I know they don't mean it as an insult, but when you break it down, <laughs> I work on TV. So you're telling me, oh, on TV, we have to shield the children. Yeah. But here in person, you look it's great. not so scary. <laughs> well, look, I, I'm sure 99.9% of the Nine percent of the people you encounter mean well because you bring such. Of course good they do. People. Of course <laughs> they do. You know, but and you don't want to, you know, come off as being a jerk by saying, "Hey, what do you mean by?" So you just go, oh, "Thank you, thank you." <laughs> hey, we got a couple more minutes uh, remaining before we wrap it up. Just a good quick, some quick questions. Uh, a rare day off for you, or on a day off, what do you do? What's a day in the life away okay. from the camera, away from Zoom meetings, away from the book, away from Roger? It depends. You, you know, every every day is different. Our son right now is away. Uh, my two older girls are out of the house. I mean, Leela's a a junior and well now a senior, rising senior in Paris, uh, and my oldest girl works as a a, a recipe person for a, a, an appliance company. She lives in Jersey. Uh, so like right now our son's away and, and you know what? It's just the, the little things of just like Deborah's right now sitting out on the back deck. I'm in here. If, if I wasn't doing this, I'd just be, you know, hanging out, probably picking some stuff out of the garden for uh, dinner tonight. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, a pretty, we're, we're pretty mellow. We don't do, I've got, we've got a lake at the bottom of our hill. I've got a little 18 foot inflatable runabout. Nice. Or I'll go kayaking. Um, yesterday, you know, uh, I took a 25 mile bike ride. It was great along this rail trail. And it was, it was beautiful. You know, it's mostly shaded. So it wasn't too hot. I, I, I'm a simple guy. I don't, uh, you know, I'm okay. When you come visit out uh, in San Francisco, we will not goober smooch. We will just <laughs> for a nice cup of coffee or just sit in my backyard and chill. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love because I've not been to the new station yet. Um, so when I when I was last there, it was before it was just after the switch had been made. Right. That's 2002. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a pretty ratty little 
uh, I think it used to be an old pencil factory. It was good. It was an old bakery, and and don't put lipstick on a pig. It wasn't pretty ratty. It was very ratty. <laughs> yeah, like holes in the floor and stuff. Like, wow, this is a TV. I remember one of my first radio jobs off of campus while I was in college was at WSGO at Radio Park. Radio Park was basically an abandoned lot that was across the street from pollution abatement that basically <laughs> burned toxic waste material. It's amazing. I don't have like other arms and stuff growing out of my, out of different orifices. It's crazy. I'm thinking of the last time I saw you in person um, was the Roger Federer charity oh. tennis match at the yes. San Jose Shark Tank Arena with uh, Savannah was there because she's a huge Federer fan. Right. And right. you were there and you were all smiles. And that's what yep. I, when I started this, I said, you know, I can see how you are on air and I know how you are off air. And it's it just, it's great well, to thank see. You. And then the next time I was there was, uh, I was in San Jose uh, for Paul McCartney. Yes. Okay. Sir, Paul, Sir Paul McCartney, which again, I'm sitting, I'm talking to an original Beatle. And, and, and you know, one of those guys, and it is funny, the PR people are always the ones that, oh, no, no, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't, don't, don't look directly into his eyes or anything. <laughs> and so we're standing off to the side and he comes and he comes over to us and the, Al Roca. He's talking with the crew, and he's but he's he's not just not to me, but to my producer and the camera guy and the audio guy, and just genuinely nice. Yeah. And and I could see the 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 PR guys kind of like give me this look, and I'm like, he came to us. It's not like <laughs> and afterwards he looked said, at me. He, he looked said, at me. He said, "You looked at him. You draw. Him, you drew him into you." I said, "I didn't draw anybody." <laughs> Uh, hey, we were both supposed to be in Tokyo right about now. Are we I planning know. on doing this next summer? I hope so. You know, uh, you know, it's funny. My my middle girl, her dream has been to be a, a production assistant at the Olympics, and she was going, and ah. she was gonna she was gonna be going like three weeks ahead of me. Yeah. Um, and and she was just crestfallen. And look, not, nowhere near as obviously crestfallen as all the athletes and coaches and all the folks who worked so hard to put this together. But you know, it'll be interesting next year because it'll be back to back Olympics. Yeah. You know, because we would have summer. And then six and, months later, we're in China six for later, the winter. We're in China. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, going to be a. It's going to be an Asian an Asian year in 2021. It sure will. All right, Al. The book comes out today or tomorrow. Today. You look so much better. Tomorrow. tomorrow. What's today? Today's tomorrow. Monday. Yes. Today's, yeah. It comes out tomorrow. tomorrow. You look so much better in person. And before we go, last question. We are barbecuing all summer long, right? Give me uh, two barbecue tips for our viewers. Um, what to barbecue and how to do it. Uh, I would say a two-inch, and this is going to upset the vegans, but a two-inch bone-in ribeye steak. Oh, uh, there's a great place north of you called uh, Snake River Farms. Of course. There, uh, there's there's another really newer farm in Northern California uh, in Fort... Fort Bragg? No. Fort Funston? Uh, uh, but it's called Five Mary's Farm. Oh, okay. Uh, I know Five Mary's. Yeah. Uh, anyway, get a steak from them or from uh, uh, the nice folks at uh, Snake River. Um, uh, also crowd cow is a good mail order place. Anyway, two inch bone in ribeye, <laughs> just a little olive oil on each side. Okay. Salt and pepper, generously salted and peppered on both sides, hot fire grill. You put it on, you don't start moving it around, not for at least five minutes. Then you flip it over another five minutes 
If you like your steak rare, you're done. If not, move it to the cool side. Uh, put it, if you don't have a hooded grill, just put a like a foil pan over it and let it cook for another five minutes oh. and you're good. Don't put any, uh, don't come, come with steak sauce or a marinade or anything. Stop it. Just eat good <laughs> meat. But don't move your meat around and start with good meat. And are you a wine guy, beer guy, soda I'm, guy? I'm not a, I'm, I'm a, I, you know, I've de- developed the, uh, although I now drink it year round, but I like the rosé. Yeah, rosé all day. And about five years ago, somebody, a British guy, actually, introduced me to two drinks that changed my life. Actually, there are three, but two he introduced. A Pimm's Cup. Ah, yes. And, and Hendrix and Tonic. You know, I, uh, and tonic tonic. classic. Yeah. yeah. And then when I went to go visit my, when I went to take my daughter back to school two years ago, I had an Aperol spritz for the first time in Paris. My wife drinks that twice a day in the summer. Love the Aperol spritz. <laughs> Excellent. Now, yeah. uh, thanks for your time. Uh, I read the book. I'm looking forward to all our viewers reading the book. It's, it's really fun. It's revealing. And you do get into some serious topics in there uh, with your great personality. Thanks for your time. Have a great rest of the summer. Okay. Thanks. You too, Raj. Okay, take care. Our thanks to Al Roker. We encourage you to pick up your copy of his new book. We also want to express our appreciation to all of our viewers joining us online. Uh, The Commonwealth Club has a wide range of programs coming up, so please visit our website for more information. I'm Raj Mathai, and this virtual Commonwealth Club program is adjourned. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.